This podcast was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit lifelanks.org. If I've not met you before, I'm Pete and it's great to meet you. And uh, this year, as you can see on the side uh, of, the, of the walls, uh, our theme for this year is Jesus first. And all of our preaching, all of our teaching has flowed from this theme, this idea that we want to put Jesus first, foremost, and central. I loved uh, last week, where's Abigail? There she is. I loved last week when I uh, interviewed Abigail as we ready to launch her into university. I asked her the question, a lifetime of being at Life Church. She's been her, here her whole life. A lifetime of being at Life Church. What have you learnt? And she said, I've learnt to put Jesus first. I love that. It was so good. Uh, it fits really well with the teaching, which is brilliant. But it was so good. Such a powerful answer. I've learnt to put Jesus first in everything. I love that. And that's, uh, that's our theme for the year, Jesus first. And a few months ago, we did a series called Jesus First Every Day. Well, we wanted to talk about this idea of on a Sunday... We know what that means. On a Sunday, we worship together. We put Jesus first in our worship. We open the Bible together. We pray together. But what does Jesus first every day look like on a Monday, on a Tuesday, in the rest of our lives, when we're not all together in this room worshiping or not all together on the live stream? What does Jesus first every day look like? So in this series, we're going to get really practical. So we're talking Jesus first every day, revisited. So the last time we did this series, it was much more devotional. It was about spiritual practices, prayer, worship, the Holy Spirit. This series is going to be very practical where we think, okay, what does Jesus first every day look like in different areas of my life? So this morning, we're going to start with the idea of work as worship. Work as worship. So we're going to think about what we do with our work. Now, for everybody who's about to disqualify themselves from this message, let me broaden our definition of work. So work for you might be what you're paid to do Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday, seven days a week. Work for you might be what you're paid to do. But it might also be unpaid work. It might be that you're a full-time parent. It might be that you're a carer. It might be that you're retired but busier than ever. Does that resonate with any, I'm not retired, but does that resonate with any of the retired people? Retired, but busier than ever. It might be that you're a student. It might be that you're volunteering. Uh, We've got some people in the church who are full-time volunteers, some people in the church who do lots of volunteering, unpaid work, but it's work. It may be that you're self-employed. It may be that you've got various businesses or significant projects, not a hobby, like a significant project, something that you're giving time and energy and attention to. Maybe you're not getting paid for that, or maybe nobody's telling you to do that thing, but it is work. It's something you're producing, something you're creating. So for the purposes of today's message, my hope is that that includes everybody in the room. Paid work, unpaid work, volunteering, retired, busier than ever, caring, students, hopefully you're covered. One of life's big questions, there's a a few big questions out there in life. One of life's big questions is, does my life matter? Does my life have meaning and purpose? Maybe another way of asking that question is, who am I and what am I doing here? You know, I find at its core, as I get to know people, Whoever they are, whatever their background is, whatever their life pursuit is, that tends to be a core question. Who am I really? What am I really doing here? Does this really matter? 
Does what I do with my life matter? Do I matter? Does my life matter? Does my life have meaning? Does my life have purpose? And this morning, we're going to go to a, a portion of Scripture right back at the beginning, the Genesis account. And we're going to read a portion of Scripture that I think speaks to these questions, speaks to these kind of universal, big questions of purpose and meaning. If you remember at the beginning of the year, we did a series called It All Starts Here, where we went back to the original story, the creation story, and we considered origin stories. We considered who are we, where do we come from, and does our life have meaning and purpose? And if you remember, back in January, February, uh, Josh did a great message on work. Uh, And so uh, if you missed that message... You can go back and listen to that, uh, but we're going to revisit some of those themes this morning. So let's turn to Genesis 1.26. Maybe you have a real Bible, maybe you've got a Bible on your phone, it's also going to be on the screen. Genesis 1.26, speaking into some of these big questions. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all he had made and it was very good. Then it was evening and morning the first day. This passage, I believe, teaches us some really important truths for everybody, everybody in the room, everybody watching the live stream, even the yellow room who are engaging in this message. This passage teaches us some really important truths. First of all, this, you are made in the image of God. Whoever you are, whatever background you have, whatever life finds you at the moment, you are made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God to reflect the likeness of God to the world around you. Here's what Tom Wright says, biblical scholar Tom Wright. I love this. Our task as image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians following Christ and shaping our world is to announce redemption to a world that has discovered its fallenness to announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness, to proclaim love and trust to a world that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. This passage teaches us a really important truth about each one of us, that you are made in the image of God. No mistake. No no leftover. You are made in the image of God. You are divine image bearers made to reflect the goodness of God to the world around you. This passage teaches me that you matter. You matter. Again, whoever you are, if you missed that, it's going to come back in a minute if you missed that. You matter. Whoever you are, whatever life has thrown at you so far, you matter. So therefore, what you do matters. So right now, what time is it? Sunday morning, 11.48 a.m. This moment matters. 
As we worship together, it matters. As we pray together, it matters. As we listen to the word of God together, it matters. But can I tell you what? Monday morning, this time tomorrow, 11.48, Monday morning, whatever you're doing, that matters. Whatever it is you're doing for work, paid or unpaid, in your retirement, whatever it is you're putting your hand to, tomorrow morning, 11.48, this matters as well. You matter, so therefore what you do with your life matters. And you have a purpose, a God-ordained vocation, something to contribute to the world. No one's here to make up the numbers. No one's here to be a bod, you know, just someone that just plods along and does what other people tell you to do. You matter. You have a purpose, a God-ordained vocation, something to contribute to the world around you. If you're looking for a job description, let's go back to that quote from Tom Wright. If you're kind of thinking, what is my role in the world? What am I meant to do with my life? Who am I and what am I doing here? I think this is a great, a great job description. Our task, our job, our role, this time tomorrow, wherever you are, is to bear the image of God, to reflect the goodness of God to the world around us, to be Christ-shaped, to be spirit-filled, followers of Jesus who shape the world around us. Our job is to announce redemption. So it's not to point out uh, other people's brokenness. But when we see brokenness, and let's be, let's be honest, it's not difficult, is it, to see brokenness? Look in the mirror. <laughs> Look out the window. It's not difficult to see brokenness. And so our job isn't to point out other people's sins or mistakes. Our job is to announce redemption. Our job is to tell a better story. Our job is to bring healing to the world around us. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the saviour. But we get to reflect, be image bearers of the divine. Announce healing to a world that's discovered its brokenness. And to proclaim love and trust to a world that knows exploitation, fear and suspicion. If you are looking for a job description, you can have that one if you want. Courtesy of Tom Wright. So let's jump in. We're going to think about this morning what work as worship looks like. Work as worship means God is glorified. I know it's hot, but are you with me? Thanks, Dave. (laughs) Work as worship means that God is glorified. Now, I believe God is glorified in our worship. And this morning, we have worshipped well. I love it. I love Sunday mornings at Life Church. I love when we come together and we lift up the name of Jesus. So work as worship means that we gather, when we gather, we worship. But also in your work, your work can be worship. Here's a simple but maybe profound question. Does what you do bring glory and honour to God? Not, do you mention Jesus every five seconds at work? I'm not asking that. I'm saying, does what you do bring glory and honour to God? Maybe that's a good question to ponder on this morning. Does what I do bring glory and honour to God? This morning, that's what we've done together. We've lifted up the name of Jesus. We brought glory and honour to God in our corporate worship. What about this time tomorrow? Does what I do bring glory and honour to God? Maybe a follow-up question. How? How can what I do bring glory and honour to God? Maybe, Maybe this morning, thinking about, well, what am I doing in my retirement? What am I doing as a volunteer? What am I doing in the world of work? What am I creating? What am I building? And how can I bring glory and honour to God with the work that I do? Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. 
whatever you do, which I think includes everything, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Could your work, your work as a volunteer, your work as a carer, your high-pressured full-time job, could what you do bring glory and honour to God? When I was thinking about this, I thought about an Old Testament character called Bezalel. Uh, Bezalel is one of those kind of uh, hidden characters in the Bible. Doesn't get a lot of airtime, doesn't get a lot of mentions. Not a highly famous character, but a really important character. We find him in Exodus 31, verse 1 to 5. Here's what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs. For work in gold, silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of craft. I don't think he means crochet, but we'll see. I think crochet is included, actually. Crochet is included. But I love Bezalel. I love love this character. Someone filled with the Spirit of God. And the first few things we see mentioned, I think, fit in our picture. Bezalel is filled with the Spirit of God. That means wisdom. That means understanding. That means learning, but it also means he's awesome at making stuff. He's an artist. He's a creative. He's someone that uses his hands to make something incredible. I really appreciate people like Bezalel. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking how terrible I am at art. My, one of my children's in the room. And um, my, my art has got worse over the years. I don't, I don't, I don't draw very often. And whenever I do draw, normally it's for a family game. There's a, a few particular games we play that involve drawing. And whenever I'm drawing, my first thought is, this, I can't believe how bad this is. I'm, as I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, this is coming from my hand. I don't know, how is this so bad? Uh, it's worse than a toddler. Like, and as I finish the drawing, I think, that was, I, that was in my mind. What is on the paper is worse than I could have expected. Like, how is this so bad? I remember GCSE English just cutting out something and my English teacher saying, this looks like it's been cut out with your teeth. That was the coursework that I handed in. I am not an artist. I maybe think creatively, but I'm not an artist in any way, shape or form. So I really appreciate the artists in the room, the artists in our community, the artists in the world around us, the creatives. I just wanted to speak over you something of Bezalel, filled with the Spirit of God, to create, filled with the Spirit of God, to make art. That brings glory and honour to God. That's what Bezalel was stepping into. And I think there's people in this community, people in this room, where you've got a God-given gift to create, to make. And maybe there's people in this room that know that about themselves, but haven't fully stepped into that yet. I'm going to pray just in this moment. We normally pray at the end, but I'm going to pray in this moment. Because I'd love to pray for you that you receive something of what Bezalel received. Bezalel, just a normal guy, the son of Hur, the son of Uri. But he receives the Spirit of God to go and make, create, bring art, bring life, bring colour to the world around him. So Father, I thank you for everyone in this community. Maybe if this is you, maybe you just want to receive this prayer, if you're an artist, a creative. God, I thank you for the artists. God, I thank you for the creatives. I thank you for those who just make stuff, incredible stuff with their hands that take a concept 
and are able to put it on a canvas, take a concept and are able to bring it to life, to bring life to the world around us. And so God, we just pray that you'd release more of your anointing on them, that they would know your power working through them. Even this morning, creative ideas unlocked, wisdom and understanding unlocked. And for those who may be a bit unsure of this, they have an inkling Maybe the young people, students, maybe retired people who've always had an inkling that there was a creative inside of them, an artist inside of them. God, I pray that you'd release them even today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Work as worship means that God is glorified. Work as worship means the life of the kingdom spreads. Work as worship means the life of the kingdom spreads. Wherever you turn up, you bring the presence of God with you. Again, as a, as a community, we come together. That's why our worship is so good, because all of us are of one heart and one mind. But then this time tomorrow, you might work, work, walk into a place of work, maybe your university campus or your community, and you know that other people don't have the same heart and mind as you. But you carry something. You carry something of the presence of God. And I want to share a story with you. I know I've shared this story before, but I love it. And I've got the microphone for the next few minutes. So I will share this story. It's about a guy called Carter. Carter is about 75 years old, African-American and a taxi driver in Washington, D.C. He's been driving a taxi for years. A few weeks ago, he picked up a guy called Don. And they became friends. Don was working on a project to draw attention to the genocide in Defour, Sudan. And Don invited Carter to one of the events. Back in 1994, Carter served as a taxi driver for a man from Malawi, Africa. Because Carter wasn't just a taxi driver, but was a taxi driver in the kingdom of God, he treated his guests with special respect, as only a taxi driver in the kingdom of God can. The guest introduced Carter to some other Malawian friends, and soon Carter, the taxi driver, was invited to visit Malawi, which he did in 1998. There, Carter saw poverty he had never before imagined. He prayed, Lord, help me to bring some joy to this village. What a great prayer. Maybe today that could be your prayer. God, help me bring joy to my place of work. God, help me bring joy to my university campus. God, help me bring joy to my community. God, help me bring joy to my family. Lord, help me bring joy to this village. And God answered his prayer. First, Carter realised that there was no road in the village, just a path rutted and muddy. With a proper road, people could get around better and elderly and sick people could be transported to the hospital. He had brought some money, so he offered to pay for gas and oil and drivers if the people of of the village would do the work. Soon Carter's generous spirit, the spirit of the kingdom of God, became contagious and someone provided a grader and then more and more people volunteered to help. Three days later, they'd built a proper road a mile and a quarter long. A year or so later, he returned to the village A young man had been falsely accused of stealing and was stuck in jail. Since Carter seeks the kingdom and justice of God wherever he goes, he got involved. And soon the young man was set free. On the same visit, Carter met a boy who needed medical care that was only available in a distant city. Carter made it possible for the boy to get treatment on a regular basis by finding and convincing who else a driver to help him. The next year, he went back again, and this time helped some young men improve their farming. He made connections and got 26 footballs donated to the children of the village, because in the kingdom of God, fun and play are important things. Carter knew this. 
He even helped them get uniforms because in the kingdom of God, dignity and pride are also important things. On another trip, Carter, the taxi driver's generosity, inspired a shopkeeper in the village to donate money to help some sick children get treatment for ringworm. Soon a Bible school was opened and it grew from 17 to 85 students quickly. No wonder when you see signs of the kingdom of God coming to your village, you would want to learn all you can about it. Roads, rides, seeds, ringworm medicine, footballs, uniform, a Bible school. These are all signs of the kingdom of God in that little village. Carter told me, I don't do any of this myself. God is doing this through me. Carter is a taxi driver in Washington, D.C. He's also a secret agent in the kingdom of God. There are thousands of Carters, millions. They aren't on TV. They aren't on the radio. No one has ever heard of them. They don't write books. They don't need to because their days are pages in the most important book of all. Wow. I love that. Work as worship means the life of the kingdom grows. Work as worship means that people flourish. Work as worship means that other people flourish. Here's the reality. Some jobs dehumanise people. We know that, don't we? So we're not saying today that all work is worship. We're not saying that all work is, is good. There are some industries that are set up that are bent on evil, that are bent on destruction. There are some industries that dehumanise people. Like if you want an example, human trafficking. Okay, that's an example. That's an industry. Some people, that is their job. They, they buy and trade people. And so we're not saying that is worship. Obviously, we're not saying that. So we're saying there are some jobs, there's some work that dehumanizes people. But there's other work, there's other things that you can do that actually help people to grow and to flourish, that can help the garden to grow, the garden that God planted in Eden, that can help this garden to grow. And I want to tell a story about um, someone that I just think is awesome. You've all heard of him. His picture's going to be on the screen, and his name is George Cadbury. Anyone heard of Cadbury? If you're not sure what Cadbury is, then uh, Christina and the team is going to pass around some, uh, some of his products um, for you to sample. So you can do that whenever, whenever you're ready. But Cadbury um, was a, a Victorian businessman. And uh, I've shared a few times, thought a few times about Victorian England and a time of uh, great poverty for lots of people, awful working conditions, the quality of life. So if you want to begin to pass the chocolates out, you can, you can, you can give them to people, the chocolates that you've got. <laughs> Fantastic. So you can give those out. Uh, fantastic. So the, the buckets are going to, the, the chocolate? Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. So you can give the people the chocolate. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, Cadbury, into this era of huge poverty, uh, low quality of life uh, for people, uh, awful uh, conditions for lots of children, lots of young people, lots of disease, lots of illness. Um, maybe you don't want chocolate in the, in the sun. Can you still eat chocolate in this weather? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you pass the chocolate around. Don't everyone go for dairy milk. Uh, so the Cadbury's into this environment, into this culture, they wanted to develop, very simply, their first business idea was hot chocolate houses. Like we now have coffee shops that just seem to be everywhere. And coffee shop culture is so massive, isn't it, now in, in the modern world. Uh, in 18, uh, 1800s Britain, uh, not very popular. People weren't going to coffee shops. Uh, and actually a lot of working people and, and people not working were uh, going to public houses. 
and not family-friendly public houses, pubs that we have today, but places of darkness and debauchery and uh, places of hopelessness. And so uh, Cabri, because of his Christian faith, so for those who don't know, Cabri and the Cabri family, uh, strong, passionate Christian faith, a Quaker family, uh, they didn't believe in drinking alcohol. And so they wanted to create an alternative culture. So they created these hot chocolate houses. The first one started in Birmingham. And it wasn't a huge success. It didn't didn't go very well. And then the sons, Cadbury's sons, took on the business and began to add milk to the cocoa and began to press it differently, found this different press in Holland. And the business developed, the business grew. And who knew? People love chocolate. And in the 1800s, this this business, this small family business that started with kingdom mindset, with kingdom principles, a kingdom-centric business, they decided to to develop it and it grew massively. And their first product, you may know this, but the first product that kind of became known was the dairy milk product. And people loved it then and still love it today. And you might find a dairy milk in those boxes. Now, the business began to grow and develop and go really well, but the Cadbury family weren't satisfied with just having a great product and a great business. Because of their Christian faith, because they wanted people to flourish, they built a village for their workers. Maybe you've been. Anyone been to Cadbury's World in Birmingham? Amazing. Lots of people. So maybe you've been. It's a great day out if you've not been. And so the village is still there. You can go to Bourneville in Birmingham, and Bourneville was a village created by Cadbury and his workers, uh, created for Cab- by Cadbury for his workers. He didn't just want to give them a job and give people a good product. He wanted to give his workers a quality of life, a higher quality of life. And he wanted to make sure his workers could own a home. And so his workers didn't just get a great job and a great product. They actually got their own home. Over time, they were able to own their own home. And around the community, I've I've been there, it's amazing. He built a pavilion. He developed uh, a park with a lake in the middle. And if you go there today, there's actually a church that meets them in the pavilion. There's a Bible school that operates out of the pavilion, right in the heart of Bourneville, right next to uh, Cadbury's World, which is now a multi-billion corporation owned by Americans. Uh, I was expecting a boo then, but there we go. Um, So it's not the Cadbury's anymore that own it, but the heart of it, the DNA of the company, we're not booing Americans, by the way, just that this British, beautiful British company um, has been been taken over. But the DNA of the company is still there and you can still go to Bourneville. You can still go to the pavilion. You can still see the houses that Cadbury built for his workers. I love that Cadbury's vision, George Cadbury's vision, wasn't just great chocolate, although are we enjoying the chocolate? Good. The vision wasn't just great chocolate, it wasn't just a great product, it was that his workers, his people would flourish. Work as worship means that people flourish. I am so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for what you bring. Sometimes I look at other people's jobs every now and then and I think, I think I could do that. I think I could have a go at that. But there's lots of jobs, lots of the things that you do and I think I'm so thankful that you do that. I'm so thankful for your skill. I'm so thankful for your gifting. I am so thankful for the mechanics amongst us. You know, I'm so thankful for, for the nurses and the doctors. I'm so thankful for the role that you play. I'm so thankful for the work that you do, for what you bring to the world around you. I'm so thankful for so many people in this community that because of you, others flourish. That because of you, uh, that the world is more like the way that God intends it to be. So last idea, the the band are going to come and join me. Last idea. Work as worship means 
that God is with you. Here's the thing. Work as worship means that God is with you. It might be that at the moment, work is tough. It might be at the moment that business isn't going great. It might be at the moment that you're unemployed or underworked and maybe looking for direction, maybe looking for opportunity. As a church community, one of the things we'd love to do is we'd love to gather business leaders, maybe small business leaders, who would get together to pray together, to share ideas together, and to help each other, help each other grow and flourish as business leaders. So if you're a business leader, even a small business leader, and you want to get together with other business leaders, not to share best practice, but also to pray together and to flourish together and bring flourish into the world around us, then we'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to engage you in that. If you're unemployed, underworked, disappointed, disillusioned with what you're doing at the moment, then my hope and my prayer is that you would talk to Jesus about it. Today's a good day to talk to Jesus about it. Maybe today's a good day to talk to your friends, your family about it, to say, I need a new direction. I need a new sense of purpose. I need an opportunity. No, I, I, would, I would encourage you today, talk to Jesus about it and share that with other people. But here's the last thing I want to say. Work as worship means that God is with you. In the words you type, the nappies you change, the wounds you heal, the walls you paint, God is with you. With the dogs you walk, the minds you mould, the flowers you plant, the shells you stock, God is with you. With the challenging boss or the customer who is always right. In the boredom, in the disappointment, when you open the shutters, then close for the day, God is with you. In the surfaces you clean, the phones you answer, the houses you build, the vehicle you drive, with the hair you cut, the food you prepare, the websites you design, the bins you empty, God is with you. With the people you serve and the songs you write, with the bread you bake and the care you listen with, the meetings you plan, the emails you send, the reports you write, the lessons you lead, God is with you. God is with you. And he sees you and he loves you and he delights in the detail of your day and he will never leave you or forsake you. Work as worship means that God is with you. And we're going to pray together now, church. I'd love us to pray for our work. Whatever it is you do, what will you be doing this time tomorrow? What are you giving yourself to this week? In your work, as a volunteer, in your retirement, as a carer, as a student? What is the significant project you're working on? Like Bezalel, you've been given these gifts and you're putting your hand to something. In your disappointment with work, that sensing of a new opportunity, in your underwork, maybe a lack of purpose, in your unemployment, we're going to hold all this before God this morning. We're going to bring our work to God this morning. And we're going to pray that God would be glorified in our work, that our work would become worship that increasingly we could step into all that God has for us, that others would flourish because of what we do, because, so that the kingdom of God would expand because of what we do. And so, Father, I thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for those who own a business, for those about to start a business, 
for those about to take a, a, a shift in their work. God, I pray for the unemployed, those seeking work. God, I pray for the retired, maybe who are busier than ever before. God, I pray for those lacking purpose, lacking direction. God, I pray for the students. God, I pray for those working on something significant that they just know is going to bring joy to the world. It's going to bring hope to the world. God, we pray for those God-given, God-ordained projects, those God-given, God-ordained ideas. God, we lift it all to you. God, for the carers. God, we lift it all to you. And we pray that our work would increasingly become worship. Jesus, that we would know how to put you first every day in the words that we say, but and also in the things that we do. Jesus, that you would be glorified. Jesus, that you would be honoured. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you found this podcast inspiring and helpful, then we'd love for you to get in touch via at LifeLanks on social media or our website, lifelanks.org. Life Church, impacting our neighbours, our nation and the nations with the good news about Jesus.